This episode is brought to you by Outer. Outer creates the world's most comfortable and durable outdoor furniture made from proprietary fabrics that are both eco-friendly and water stain, fade, and mold resistant. This episode is brought to you by Gorgeous. Gorgeous is the leading customer support platform built for e-commerce brands, helping merchants unlock revenue and deliver exceptional customer service. Stay tuned for some special offers from our amazing sponsors exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello everyone, it's Lee Green and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 108 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green. And today I spoke with Lindsay McCormick, the founder and CEO of Byte. Byte, which stands for because it's the earth, believes in doing better, better ingredients, better for our bodies and better for our planet. Byte's plastic-free products are zero waste, vegan, cruelty-free, and they're on a mission to become the most sustainable personal care company in the world. Lindsay shares with us her story from growing up in Northern Virginia and choosing to become a vegetarian at eight years old, to moving to LA and working as a TV producer, to launching Byte in 2016. We talk about what keeps her motivated, how she stays engaged with her customers every single week, and how despite being a completely bootstrap business, Byte has become one of the fastest growing brands in America, snagging the number six spot on Inc. Magazine's regional fastest growing companies list for 2022. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe to get updates on when we publish new episodes every Tuesday morning. We'd also love for you to give us an awesome review if you like what you're hearing. You can follow us on Spotify or check us out at stairwaytoceo.com. Until next time, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Lindsay, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. I'm really excited to hear your story and building Byte. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Lee. I'm pumped. You're in Marina del Rey. I lived there for like two years. I was in Venice for probably two years too. I love that neighborhood so much. It's the, I feel like it's the best. I would say that Marina, I feel like is the best kept secret, but the secret is definitely getting out. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I really love it here. I agree. What's not to love? It's right by all the boats. It's really is, it's a gem. Yeah. And there's, there's parking and we're on the water, you know, and it's like nice, especially when you're working all the time as you do to like look out and see the ocean. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty special. I do miss those runs on the beach and I miss the runs in the Venice canals. Those are fun to go and see all the houses and it's, it's a beautiful place. Love it. Love it. I, I feel like our run is probably the same to the jetty around the canals and all around. It's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> so where are you from originally? Are you from California? Uh, I am actually from the East Coast. I grew up uh, in Northern Virginia, right outside DC, and I went to school in North Carolina. And then as soon as I graduated, I got as fast as I could. Well, actually, I traveled a little bit. And then I came out west as fast as I could. I wanted to and I moved honestly, directly to Marina Del Rey. And that was like 13 years ago. So uh, but I I've, I've bopped around LA for a while. But Marina is my favorite. That's wild. And so when you were a kid, what kind of kid were you? What were you like growing up? I was really into this is probably not surprising because I have a sustainable company. I was really into animals. I was a longtime vegetarian. I actually like when I was eight years old or actually seven years old, I told my parents that I didn't want to eat meat anymore after watching like Bambi. Yeah, I saw Bambi and the Little Mermaid and like that was it. But how did you connect the dots? Because a lot of kids see those movies and don't connect the dots, right? So what- I how... just did. <laughs> I just did. I just, I was like, wait, like a fish on the plate is the same as flounder. And like, you know, Bambi is the same as like a cow. Like it just like, it very much connected. And my parents 
are not vegetarians. They are very into, my dad is Irish, my mom is Italian. So like lots of steak and potatoes and meatballs and pasta. And yeah, so it was, my mom would make me eat peanut butter with my dinner. Cause she's like, this is how you're going to get like, protein. I don't know how to cook for you. <laughs> <laughs> cook for yeah. yourself. I child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just ate sides, lots of mashed potatoes and green beans and, and peanut butter. I mean, my parents were great. They were like this little child. Was very they made me starve, but they were great. Like, <laughs> no, they were great. They were great. They were great. Finally, I remember like, uh, they were like, it, because also that was, you know, uh, oh my God, eighties, like there was nothing vegetarian really. I mean, no, it was very, I didn't even know what a vegetarian rare. was when I was eight years old. I I'm from Delaware. I did not know what that was when I was a kid. <laughs> Most kids do not connect the dots the way that you connected them very early on. I did. Yeah. And then, but then on the other side of my personality, I always grew up playing sports. So I was really into, I played soccer all growing up. I played like every sport. I mean, I feel like all like kids play so many different sports, but I played soccer growing up, ended up playing competitively um, in, you know, all like select teams all the way through and then um, getting into snowboarding and those kind of sports as well. So I loved, although I was like, Caring and I was also very competitive. So yeah. <laughs> caring and competitive. That about sums it up. Nice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Love soccer. What um what position were you in soccer? Defense, offense. You're a goalie? Oh I my know, god. I could never. <laughs> yeah, no, that well, the pressure, but also just having the balls like fly at you. Like I didn't really, yeah, that's I that's a, it. Yeah. I would like dive. I would jump. I would like jump all over people. I didn't care. I was like, I was all over it. I was like, this is my home. I defend my home. Like it was, I loved it. It was so fun. Yeah. And I played so all the way from like, I mean, like, like, I don't know how, how old do you start playing soccer? Like six years old, all the way until I was like 16 or 17. That's awesome. And like, yeah, like you played in one, high school so. then. I actually didn't play for my high school team, but I did play like, I, it's not like rec. I don't know what it's called when you play like travel soccer where you play like the tournaments. And, yeah. That's what I, I get what that was called. I played like every summer or whatever season it was, you know, <laughs> on the East coast where you would play <laughs> soccer all the way through to high school. And that's when I stopped, but yeah. Yeah. I would have wanted you on my team. Cause I was playing halfback and, you know, kind of striker and, and whatnot wing <laughs> right wing. Oh yeah. But yeah. like the forward. Yep. I was like, let me kick this and get this away from me. That was a defense. You know, <laughs> no way. No, I don't like people coming at me like that. Oh God, that's hilarious. That's awesome. I think there's like a lot to be said too. When you look at like, when I look at some of my friends who I still keep in touch with playing soccer, like the different personalities play at the positions that we played growing up. I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, so like, if you oh, were okay, a psychologist like to analyze this, what would you say about the different soccer players and their personality? Oh, I like this game. Okay. So, well, I would know most about goalie because that was what I was, but I feel like that's someone who is okay kind of doing their own thing because you don't practice with the rest of the team. You know, like I had to go practice like on my own and because it's totally different skill set and you have to be good under pressure and okay with like getting hurt. <laughs> um, and I feel like that's like very, very resilient. Um, but then looking at someone who's like, um, a midfielder I feel like that's someone who's totally cool with like helping people who's like going to be working you know like works all the time like they're just trying to get the ball like they're trying to help defense they're trying to help offense they're just trying to like help you know they're they're like it's um they don't get like the they don't have like the adrenaline rush of defending the goal but they don't get like the glory of like making a goal like as a striker and so I feel like yeah there's like I feel like there could be there should be like a medium post on this somewhere, but <laughs> I think you should write it. It sounds like you're on track. <laughs> <laughs> should. So funny. But what would you say about the frontliners that are scoring the goals? They're like, I mean, they're probably, they're the ones who want it. Like, would they be in sales? Like they want to go like close the deal and like get, you know, they like get shit done. You know? <laughs> I can resonate with that. that. That's definitely me. Although I didn't score many goals. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, the wait, thrill wait, was there's fun. There's quotes about this. You have to, however many misses or <laughs> whatever. Wait, what are the quotes? Like Michael Jordan, you have to take like a hundred shots and you get a hundred, like, I don't know, misses. Shots on goal. So are I thing. still have a chance. <laughs> maybe, maybe I still have a chance. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, that's so sports, were you kind of entrepreneurial as a kid? Were you always like coming up with ideas? Were you selling Girl Scout cookies? 
So actually, no, I was not at all. Um, and so, and when I was in uh, like high school and college, I was actually kind of the opposite of that. I was very, I specifically remember targeting a place called Ocean Beach where I wanted to live in California when I moved out here, specifically because they did not allow a Starbucks in their town. <laughs> Cause I was like very kind of like, by that point I was kind of hippie, like very, um, I thought businesses maybe weren't there to actually help people. They were there to make money. And I really didn't like that. Uh, and I felt that real change was made by, you know, organizations, especially being like long, you know, vegan at this point and uh, really into conservation, the environment. It's, I didn't think that business could be used as a force for good. And I wasn't really into it at all. Um, so I was kind of like the opposite of an entrepreneur. I was like, this is not, so it's really kind of interesting now to see how differently I feel than when I was in high school and college, for sure. So how long were you wanting to move away from the East Coast and move specifically to California? Since like high school. As soon as I was like, wait, there's a place that is summer all the time that doesn't have humidity like Florida. Like I would love to live there. Yeah. Had yeah. you ever visited California before you wanted to be here? I had never. I had never. Yeah. And I, my parents took me to visit California for the first time. I think it was like, my senior year of high school um and or actually it could have yeah senior year of high school and I was like yep that's where I want to want to be for college um, or just to, college. to live uh to live yeah after college that was it and so what did you study in college where'd you go and why I went, I studied communications. I went to ECU in North Carolina and it was because it was four hours away from my hometown and I got in. <laughs> like, that is literally why I went. Um, I wanted like to be the right distance away from my home, like that I could drive home on the weekends, but then also be far enough away that I didn't feel like, you know, my parents could come surprise me at any time. Uh, and I, you know, they had a good communication school. I wanted to do communication. So I was, I was interested in journalism um, specific. I mean, like specifically, I loved the idea of conservation. Actually, my like senior paper was on biomass and do the importance of the importance of biomass on deforestation of the rainforest. And so I had always been really into, I had seen or realized from an early age that documentaries, well-written articles, uh, like they can really change culture in a way that can be helpful when it comes to conservation, the environment. And so I really want to be part of that. I wanted to be kind of into that. And that's actually, I was working in TV, kind of building up my toolkit when I came up with the idea for Bite. But, you know, I had gotten into TV because I had seen, you know, Blackfish, which was the documentary about orcas, which ended up just, I mean, that was the documentary. I don't know if you remember, it came out, I mean, oh my gosh, so long ago, but it really kicked off seeing marine mammals as like sentient and being able to really protect them in different ways. And for me, it was like, holy crap, a documentary made by people you know, just like sitting in an edit bay with cameras out, you know, like you know, making like, you know, basically creating this documentary was able to change legislation in a really important way um, and really change the like, I mean, you see what happened to SeaWorld and, and all that. And so I was like, oh, I want to be part of that. that yeah, cool. mm -hmm. that's awesome. And so how did you become part of that? Uh, I mean, not quite. I was a TV producer, but I was based, I was still, you know, I moved out to LA, wanted to work in TV ended up working as a surf and snowboard instructor for a while. And I was a PA whenever I could get a job. And a PA is called a, it's a production assistant. It's basically someone on set who's just helping with everything. You are like the assistant to everyone on the crew. Um, and I loved it. It was super fun. And I was specifically in non-scripted. My first job was actually for Animal Planet, a show on Animal Planet. And I was like, this is my dream. Um, and I just kind of worked my way up eventually. And I was working in TV on a show called House Hunters which is definitely not a conservation documentary, but I loved it. It was really, it was really fun. I loved the company that I worked for. It was run by these two just like really brilliant women and their whole exec, like a lot of their executive team was women. And I just, I loved working for them. And I was kind of building up my toolkit to eventually want to work in documentaries. So that was like the goal, but like you can't, I mean, you could, I mean, a lot of people have just made a documentary, but for me, I wanted to really know, like, how do you do storytelling? How do you put together a TV show? How do you do all these different things? And that's what I was in the process of learning. That's awesome. And so how many years were you kind of in the industry? I was um, a producer for, I think, oh my God, five years. 
And so did you ever get close to putting together your own documentary? No, but I started a YouTube channel, which ended up like being actually like really fun. So before I, when I was like 27, I went and I traveled the world for a year and I recorded it all on a GoPro. And so I like lived out of a backpack, went to all these different countries, living off my state. Like I had saved up a bunch of money to do that. And then I came back and I took all of that footage and I put it together in a YouTube channel. And that was like incredibly helpful in terms of learning how to edit, in terms of having like learning how to storytell, in terms of having to do all of like learn all of that. I feel like that kind of combined with my experience in TV really gave, it was like, it was a, it was a really good learning experience that I actually use with Bite, you know, cause like what we're trying to do and we can kind of get into that in a little bit, but like we take really abstract concepts, like, you know, like we're not abstract, but like really hard to wrap your head around like the microplastics and, you know, plastic in the ocean and like these types of things, you can read all the stats all day, but they don't actually feel they won't actually impact you on a, on a visceral level unless you can actually see them in your head or like see, you know, and so I think and that's something that TV does really well. It's, it's visual medium. You have to be able to take these really, you know, abstract, complex concepts and make it so everyone can understand it in seven seconds. Right. And I think that that's something that has been really helpful um, between YouTube and between um, TV kind of putting that together at bite really is so interesting. I was just thinking when you're talking about the power of documentaries, I mean, I documentaries literally made me vegetarian, <laughs> if not more. Which vegan. one? Which one? Uh, I mean, all of them. I made myself watch like every, <laughs> almost all of them. I don't know which ones I haven't seen. And There's so many good ones. Yeah. That's in, it's yeah. really impactful. It's um, compelling and it's important. So it's important to open our eyes. You know, it's really easy to to live in a world where you don't want to see what's behind the curtain, right? And and be ignorant to that. That's that's very easy. But to look at it and realize what's happening and swallow that and realize and continue down that path. I mean, that's on you, but it's really that's tough. It's uh it's good that we have these things out there now. Agreed. Yeah, they can be really, really eye-opening. And actually, plastic ocean, a plastic ocean was something so kind of coming around to this I was working in tv I was a tv producer traveling all the time for work loved it and kind of building up that tool belt to eventually want to work in like be able to create my own one day uh nature and conservation documentaries and it was when I was traveling for work and I was going through little toothpaste tubes so because like when you travel for a tv show you're only ever at a place for like three days so it's carry-on only because they lose your luggage I mean forget it and there's tapes in there like you, you you need your luggage so it's carry-on only which means you're throwing you know going through those little toothpaste tubes like every time I was coming back from a trip and I had my shampoo, my conditioner, my face wash, even my sunscreen, I could refill it. No, no issue. But I was, yeah, just tossed this little thing. And I was like, this seems really, really wasteful. What else is out there? So I started looking into different alternatives of what I could be traveling with instead for these shoots. And that's when I learned about the, all of the plastic that ends up in the, in our landfills and our oceans from toothpaste tubes. It's like over 1 billion toothpaste tubes. And then speaking of how important visuals are, that's the empire state building 50 times every year. Of just plastic toothpaste tubes. Yeah. That's so crazy. It's, it's, everybody, it's a gigantic amount. Yeah. I mean, everybody's so worried about, I guess, straws, right? Straws and water bottles. I mean, I what are those comparisons? I, I know. I it's it's definitely it's things that it's when you think about, you know, the high frequency items we're using every single day, like those are the ones that have the highest impact when you can get it out, right? Of the equation. And so for me, it was like, okay, so there's this gigantic amount of plastic ending up because of these tubes. It doesn't make any sense. Like you can't really, you can't cut them open and like what, get the toothpaste out and try to recycle it. It's not going to happen. It's a mixed material. And so then I started learning about all of the harsh chemicals that are in toothpaste, right? Because it's like when you have a, an aqueous product, right, which is toothpaste, has water in it, and it's in a dark environment. You're constantly opening and exposing to air. You have to put a bunch of preservatives and stabilizers and then harsh chemicals, artificial flavors to cover up the taste of all of those things. You end up with this product that it's like, I wouldn't even use this stuff in my shampoo. And I'm like brushing it in my teeth. And so then into my mouth. And so then there's other, you know, then I started looking at it more being like, well, does that even matter? But it, it does because you swallow five percent of your five to seven percent of your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth. So it's like, okay, this stuff is like not eco, like it's plastic that's ending up 
in our waste stream. And then it's gunk that's ending up in my body. Like, what is this? And so that was kind of the beginning of being like, I'm going to make something different and I'm going to do a bunch of research. And I ended up taking online chemistry classes and on my commute to work, like every day, I would call any dentist or dental hygienist that I had gone to high school with, college with, had known in the professional world to like pick their brain being like, what do you think of these ingredients? What do you think of toothpaste? Like, what are the problems? What are these things? Basically, you know, kind of starting that whole process of being like, if we started from scratch, what, how would we make it better? And so that's how we ended up with a dry toothpaste tablet. So at the very beginning, I just, it was like a, I was literally, I bought a tablet machine and I would put the ingredients together and I would then put it into the tablet machine and literally spin the, the wheel. Like you have to spin a wheel to make the tablet come out. And I would press out a tablet and I was just like, there's one. And then I would put powder in and then do the same thing over, over and over again and get all these, you know, these tablets out that then I would put in a glass jar and sell it online. <laughs> From your home. It's not even legal. Oh, you're home. like making this. <laughs> it's a cottage industry. Okay. <laughs> it actually is. It is okay. As long as you're like under the like a certain amount, you know, it's like these, all these Etsy businesses that exist. I mean, that's what we, that was, that's what it was. It was Etsy business. And I had a Shopify store and would like hand label these things and put it out there. And uh, my, my uh, co-founder is his background in design. So the first like few labels were embarrassing and he was like, absolutely not. We're going to make this look way better. And then, you know, there was the kind of the design element that came in and yeah, that's how it so is. So why tablets? Like what was that aha moment where you're like, aha, I'm going to make tablets, toothpaste tablets. Like what? Where did you think of that? How did that idea come about? Well, powder was really messy because <laughs> I was like, how do you know, like we, we got to get this thing through TSA security, right? Because it's for like when I was trying to travel with it, right? And like powder was a disaster. And and then there was like no other option. I had tried, I literally, I didn't want to do tablets because I had to buy a machine to make a tablet, like, to make a tablet. And I was like, this machine is a thousand dollars. Like this seems absurd. I was, this is a hobby at this point. So I actually tried to I would take the powder and I tried to roll it with coconut oil and then bake it. I was like, I'm going to dehydrate this. It's going to be like a hard ball. And then like, I'm going to have these like toothpaste balls. And that's what they did not work. Like my toaster oven was set on fire. I had to like, literally, I was like, this is it. I was like, okay, I just need to spend a thousand dollars to buy this dang machine. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of, I actually, I didn't want it to be a tablet, but then I had to buy a machine, but now I'm so happy it's tablets because turns out those are easier to make get scale. <laughs> like it, was, it's, it ended up being okay. It is super interesting, you know, because I'm so, I'm, everybody is so used to using toothpaste, right? And having this like paste in your mouth that's like very smooth and refined. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's not like kind of grainy-ish. It doesn't have that like grainy thing, but I love your product, but it's this funny initial adjustment I've found of like how much chewing to do to make it feel smooth and then brush your teeth so it feels like the same. And I remember the first time I just bit on it like twice and it wasn't enough. And there was like all these little pieces in my mouth, like floating around. And I was like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> and they end up dissolving pretty quick, but it definitely is like this interesting kind of um, curve of like adjusting to something new. And once you do it, it's really cool. It makes total sense. And I'm definitely taking these everywhere I go. It just is the better route, but it's just kind of funny because also what I was thinking when I was doing it, I was like, I'm biting on this thing, but I'm trying to get food out of my teeth, not put stuff in my teeth more, right? Because you're like chewing on this thing and you're just like, is it getting stuck in my teeth? Is that good? Is that bad? Right? It's just like these kind of interesting thoughts that kind of go through when you use the product for the first time. Totally. And that's like, it's, it's so funny. It is like, it's, we've been brushing our teeth twice a day, every day, your entire life with the same product, right? With toothpaste. And so when you pop something in your mouth, and so for anybody who hasn't used it, you basically take a little tablet. It's like a smarty, essentially. You pop it in your mouth, you bite down a bunch of times, and then you start brushing at the powder with a wet toothbrush. And then once you start brushing out the powder, it will turn into a foamy toothpaste, just like what you're used to. But it is 100% a learning curve. Like I have friends where it's like, I give them the first like bit, like, and this is like my company. Like these are friends that I've known for years and they'll like take it and they'll just eat it. 
and they're like, oh, like, I, you know, they're like, oh crap, like that's not what I'm supposed to do. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, let's try again. And so it's like, you put, you put it in your mouth, you bite down and then you go. So you really do have to retrain, you know, it is different from what we've done, you know, for our whole lives. But then one of my most favorite reviews that we get, you know, time and time again from customers is like, it was weird at first, but now I'm obsessed you know, or like, it was like, at first it took me like a little while to like figure it out, but now I could never go back to toothpaste. And it's one of those things that like, after you use it and you get used to it, it's just so much cleaner. Like it's not, you start really, I feel like it's just because it's, it's honestly, it's, it's clean ingredients. And like, we use, we use good stuff. It's good for your teeth. And I think it's just where you, once you use that and then you go back to, we also have reviews of people being like, I had to use, you know, my boyfriend's toothpaste and it's, you know, like, because I was out of bite, it was terrible, you know? And it's like, once you get used to this type of product, it is hard to go back because it is, it is like, it's just cleaner and nicer. And yeah, it is like definitely the first few times when you like bite down and then there's the chunks and you're like, but wait, this is right. not how to, what? Yeah. And it's I'm like, like yeah, there's it's things a, floating it's around in my trip. mouth. What, what is this? And the same with the mouthwash bits, you know, I was like, don't swallow it. This is not a mint, you know, cause you keep wanting to think it's like, it's a mint that you can just eat, you know? You totally can though. There's nothing that's bad in it. But for me, I just, I say don't swallow because like it's made to get the food particles out of your teeth. So it's like, if you're cool with, well, I guess it's like with food. So like, what do you really even swallow it? But like, for me, it's like, I would prefer to spit just like regular mouthwash, but there actually isn't any of the bad stuff that regular mouthwash has. So if you are like on the go and you use the super icy mouthwash bits, um, you can, you can swallow it. I've done it many a times. So, and it really does make a big difference when you take like a sip of water. So I have like some people who just try to use it with their spit and I'm like, well, that's fine. But if you really want to activate that menthol in there, like it's, if you take like a little sip of water, it just kind of becomes icy. Yeah. I think the water is essential for sure to get it mixed all around and kind of feel like mouthwash, at least in my experience, I, I definitely need the little water help. And then you have deodorant as well. You have like a few other products outside of kind of mouth things. <laughs> so yeah. what made you want to expand into other categories? I mean, so for us, it's like we started, I just, it was toothpaste, right? And so once, once that happened and it ended up just totally taking off, it was 2018. It was the beginning. I mean, the zero waste movement had been bubbling for a while, but it was the beginning of it really kind of just exploding. And so we grew along with a lot of those zero waste influencers along with like the whole movement. It's something that I've, I've been living a lower waste um, lifestyle for a, a long time. So the products that we release are things that I want substitutions for, you know? So we had like, we have a whitening gel because I was like, all right, I'm using bite all the time now. And like we, it is naturally whitening because we do have like the xylitol and the nanohydroxyapatite. But I was like, I want to be able to like whiten my teeth, like the way that I used to when I was using you know, regular commercial products. And so that was kind of where we were like, okay, how would we, how would bite do whitening gel, right? Okay, it needs to be plastic free, it needs to have all the good stuff. And the same thing was with deodorant where it was just like, I had been using all of, I, I mean, like literally I've tried like all of the zero waste and low waste deodorants. And when I was using the ones that had the, it's like the cardboard, it would get super soggy halfway through. And I'd end up either having to like throw out the, the tube, which felt incredibly wasteful. I couldn't travel with it. And I was just like, okay, like we've got to, like, what would we do to make this better? And so, oh, and something that I kind of left out about with the toothpaste, which comes into the fact with um, deodorant that we, it's refillable, right? So our toothpaste tablets, like you get the glass jar once, then you keep refilling it with our compostable refill pouches. So the idea is like, why don't we make this beautiful, like super sleek looking aluminum case for the deodorant? And then you just keep refilling it with the cardboard refill. And so it's the same thing where it's like, instead of having this, you know, kind of cheesy toothpaste tube out there or this plastic, you know, deodorant tube on your vanity. It's like, let's put a beautiful glass jar there. Let's put a beautiful, um, you know, uh, deo case. And I know it sounds, anyone who hasn't seen the deo case, they're like, why would you say it's beautiful? But it kind of looks like an away suitcase. It looks like a little bullet almost. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like completely silver and it's aluminum, I think, right? This whole thing, yeah, this case. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. And it, is it smells really good. I'm wearing it right now. And I'm like, it smells Which like- Which one did I send you? That I don't know. It smell like? it smells like the woods. It smells like- um, Oh, Santal. That's Santal. 
I don't know what that is. Is that the name of <laughs> it's, it's, that? It's, our, it's, a, it's the scent? Um, it's a, uh, what's it called? It's like uh, sandalwood. Yes. And um, yeah, it's all woodsy sandalwood. What else is in there? Cedar. Smoky. Yeah, cedar. It's very, it's like Pacific Northwest. If it was a place, it would be the Pacific Northwest. Like the it's, Redwood uh, I, Forest. I freaking love Santal. Yeah, it's so nice. We also have one called Neroli. Uh, which is this like really bright, fresh citrus. And then we have rose vert, which is like our take on a rose because we we knew that people love rose and, and lavender deodorant, but we were like, we want it to be like really fresh. So rose vert kind of has this like green bite to it. So it makes it really modern, but still nice and florally. Well, I'm glad you got, I'm glad I got this one because I, that's my favorite because the florals and the citrus aren't my jam, but the woods and the cedar scent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's me. How did we know? How did we know? No, that's great. <laughs> and now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Spring is in the air, which means summer will be here in no time. But is your patio or backyard ready for action? With Outer, you can get your outdoor space decked out with the best looking sustainable sofas, chairs, coffee tables, eco-friendly rugs, and don't forget their celebrity favorite, bug shield blanket to keep those mosquitoes away. Want to check it out for yourself? Browse over a thousand Outer customers' backyards online and visit a neighborhood showroom in your own neighborhood to experience Outer products in person before you decide to buy. And when you decide to buy, you can get $200 off on furniture purchases by using the code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com. That's $200 off amazing furniture purchases with the promo code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com. With the rising costs of acquiring new customers, retention is a key focus for DDC brands. And creating outstanding customer experiences shouldn't be costly or a burden for your customer support team. This is exactly why Gorgeous is so great. They centralize all of your customer communications into one beautiful dashboard, personalizing each experience along the way, which not only helps you retain your customers, but also saves you time and increases revenue. Gorgeous works with over 9,000 brands, including Princess Polly, Olipop, and Baksu. So if you'd like to be one of them, head on over to Gorgeous.com and mention the Stairway to CEO podcast to get two months free. That's two months free of Gorgeous when you head over to Gorgeous.com. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S.com and mention the Stairway to CEO podcast. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors. I hope you're able to take advantage of these exclusive deals designed just for you. Now let's get back to the show. How and when did you shift from working in television, basically, right? Like working as a producer to entrepreneur. Like what was that shift? How did you know? It was in my case specifically, it was because we had a video that went viral. So this was 2018 when things were still going crazy banana virals on Facebook. And we had a video that just really took off. It got 2 million views within the first few hours that it was up. And it really launched the company. We ended up uh, doing, it's all twos, like uh, over $200,000 in sales, um, just that from that like initial video. And so that's really where, I mean, I had literally been making these in my living room, pressing them out. And I was like, oh, we need a manufacturer. We need business insurance. We need, you know, like this is a full-time, and I was still working full-time in TV. So um, when that happened, it was really crazy, had to find a manufacturer, had to, had literally just set up this company um, while we were explaining to customers why we were out of stock and, you know, why, and we were trying to make this all happen. Um, so that was definitely, it was a pull uh, into entrepreneurship, but there was a lot of work at the very beginning where it was like, I would work my TV job, you know, from nine in the morning until six in the six or seven in the afternoon at night. And then I'd work on bike from like seven to 2 a.m you know, and that's what I did. And like on weekends, I would press tablets and I would, you know, label bottles. And then on the weekend or the weekdays, I would be researching, you know, how to, how to start an LLC, you know, like literally watching YouTube videos being like how to like file your LLC with the state of California, you know? And so I think there was, it was a lot of work before I actually went full time in it. But I think that was really helpful because that's the kind of stamina that you end up needing to run a startup 
as well. <laughs> so like, it was really, you know, it was, uh, yeah, that's how it happened. That's crazy. So this video really kind of kicked off everything. And then at what time, where in the process were you, you were on Shark Tank too. Shark Tank. So the video, I think, you know, obviously we got a lot of attention. We ended up, it ended up, you know, then we had another video with Business Insider come out. And then we had another, like we had just all these videos come out at the same, like around the same time. Cause it was just a, an interesting concept. You know, it was like, this is again, back kind of the beginning of the, that movement. And no one really had seen two face tablets before, at least not done the way we had glass jars, refillable, uh, compostable pouches. And so Shark Tank is, they're like, they have a casting team. So, and they're very upfront saying that like, just because we approach you doesn't mean that you have any better or worse chance of getting on the show, but we did have a viral video. So we got their attention and they were like, Hey, do you want to be on Shark Tank? Do you want to audition? And so at the time it wasn't ready. The video that was still like, I was, it was still too crazy. So we're like, not yet, like next year. And so the following year we ended up auditioning for Shark Tank. It's quite the process. And then we ended up going on. And so, and that, that episode we shot in 2019, it aired in 2020 and we got two offers while we were on, like on it in the tank and we turned them down. So, uh, we didn't like, we had already gone in with a really sharp deal and we didn't leave a lot of room to negotiate. Yeah. It was definitely the right move because we grew even more after that it would have been I mean not that the sharks care they're in really great deals but like we were like that would have been a really good deal like they would have gotten in at a way lower valuation yeah well I mean they asked for insane equity so I feel like and that's the way it is you know it's what they gotta do so yeah yeah is that mostly why you turned them down in terms of it was just like not the equity yeah give away. it was just too much yeah like we we like you know especially being knowing that like you know having a tv background i knew when the lights on like the lights are on the pressure is there you're really just gonna want to lose your head and so my co-founder and i had we decided on a number and we we're like we won't go over this no matter no matter what happens no matter what you know fiasco happens like this is where we need to and we didn't get there and we were like that's that was already so fair for what we felt. We were like, we just got to say no, just got to say no. Well, not too shabby for making what number six on this like 2022 regional Inc. most fastest growing <laughs> businesses in the world or something. I mean, like what? You're number six on this insane list of companies most I've never heard of. Um, but it's like your growth, it literally lists the growth 1,859% growth. I mean, is that over the past year? I don't even know. We just, you have to give screenshots of all of your stuff and then they figure it out. So I was like, okay. Yeah. So they're the ones I was like, you're like, I don't know my growth. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I mean, I do, but I don't, I think they're, I don't know what, yeah, it was like, great, great. But yeah, it's all legit. Like you have to give them all of the, like all your screenshots. It's actually rather invasive, Um, but we're, you know, it's, uh, but worth it. So yeah. Wow. Thank you. So that's, that's really obviously incredibly impressive. And I think people look at this and say, how the hell did you do that? And help me do something like that. You know, for the entrepreneurs tuning in and the other brand operators, what advice do you have for achieving that type of level of growth? You know, I think there's so many different factors. And I think with something that is that I just keep saying over and over again is just really, really understanding your customer, which I'm sure every single person has heard this a thousand times who listens to your podcast, but it is, it is so incredibly important to the point where we're growing this way. And I still, I block out an hour every Friday and I talk to our customers. Like I have, we set up calls and I get on the phone with them and I ask them how they found out about us. I ask them what they think about us. Like I'm, I ask them, you know, what they think of our new products, if they've tried them, why haven't they tried them? And I, I think it is the most important superpower you can have, especially as a small brand, you are out numbered for all the big guys, but the things that we can do that they can't is that we can talk to our customers and we can implement it in our business model the next or in, in our business the next day, you know, and we can start doing type. And like, I think that that's something that it's so many people lose sight. They're like, Oh, I'm going to let my marketing team or my social media person or whatever, talk to the people. And like, I'm not handling our customer support or anything like that, but it's like being able to have that direct dialogue and like really understand you're able to find 
needs that other businesses aren't paying attention to, you know, and I think that that's something that has been, I mean, it's worked for us so far and I, and it's a lot, but it's work and you have to document it and you have to like, look at it. And it's not something that, you know, it's, you'd have to, t- you have to take it seriously. But I think that that's been something that's just been consistently when I look back, I'm like, that's just been something that's just so helpful. So if there's any customers kind of tuning in, they're like, I want to talk to the founder. How do they get on your list of uh, customers to chat with every Friday? Oh my gosh, I would love that. Just DM us on Instagram. Eva, <laughs> Eva is our is our social uh, social maven. She's on there and she'd be like, absolutely. What Friday are you free? <laughs> like, and is, so do you tell yeah. them when you're like cold calling these customers, do you like tell them, hey, I'm the founder of Byte? Are you just like not letting them know? Because what, I mean, I guess the, the, the con is, is that they find out that you're the founder and they're like, no, it's great. No, I love it. Because they don't want to hurt your feelings. What do you, do you feel so like they're honest with you? No, they're like, <laughs> You're like, no, they tell me all the time. I, mean, I, I, I try to set up, you know, like, and it's true. Like, I'm like, this makes us better, you know? And so I really want to, you know, from the very beginning to be like, Hey, I'm Lindsay. This is why I started right bite. And like, this is, you know, what we're trying to do. And I was like, and talking to, to you, like, this makes us, us better. So please like be honest, be brutal. Like that is like, that's what makes us better. And so, and typically they're, they're, they're okay with that. <laughs> if they're holding back. I haven't noticed much. So, but for the most part, it's, it is really helpful. It's really helpful to know when, you know, someone isn't, you know, it's like, oh, I, because also sometimes I'm kind of like, oh, like that we need to, we need to explain something better. Like, you know, we found out that it was, people weren't figuring out how to load the deodorant. Like, and it was just like, oh, okay. Like we, we need some videos on how to do that because no one's done this before. This product didn't exist before. Right. And so for us, it's like, we've been looking at this stuff for a year because it was in development for a year, but by the time it gets to like our, you know, in the hands of the customer, they're not able to see it the way we have. And so it's like, oh, being able to talk to them and be like, oh, right. Yeah. That's our bad. We need to, we need to definitely explain that better. It's just been, it's been really helpful. The user experience is so interesting. I even myself was like looking for the instructions on how to use the products. And I was looking on the back just because that's where like all the, I thought they had directions like for vitamins and like every other bottle that I pick up, it's always on the back in the fine print. Right. But no, it's like right in the front on the bigger <laughs> fonts, you yeah. know? And I was like, oh, there it is. That, that, that's a lot easier now to, to know how to use this. And then deodorant thing, I think there was like a visual diagram on how to connect it all together. So that was, that was helpful. So what are some, you know, we've talked about how successful everything is, how beautiful and fun it is. Let's talk about some of the really challenging times, the, the real shit that hits the fan behind the curtain of success like this. What are some of the toughest times that you've had to overcome? Like when did shit really go wrong? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it's like, it's funny because every, like the dream is explosive growth, right? And that's like so amazing and I'm so thankful for it. And I'm like, I say that we're customer funded because we are, we're, we're bootstrapped, which means every dollar we get is from our customers. So they are, we live and die by our customers um, and explosive growth is amazing, but it's also a total shit show. Like you're on, like, you're just trying to figure out everything at the same time, you know? And so when that was happening, it's, it's not like you can just snap your fingers and have a manufacturer and have a team. It's like, you have to find manufacturer. You have to go out like, uh, like, so you have to get rejected, you know, so many no's you have to find your team. You have to interview, you have to hire, you have to fire, you have to keep, you know, there's just so, there's so much that I think that happens. And when you're going through it with like, crazy growth it's kind of all like on steroids because it's and you and then there's that thing in the back of your head like we need to capitalize on this moment what if it never happens again you know what I'm saying like and like luckily it was we were able to kind of sustain it and then it's all about now like unlocking new growth you know and I think that for us like you know we've are we're constantly iterating our product so you know we went palm oil free in uh, it, uh, over Earth Day in 2019, and it put us in an out of stock situation, and it was like a freaking disaster because we had sold the stuff with palm oil before we had the new palm oil free in you know, and we have subscribers like that was 
an actual disaster. It ended up being fine. You know, like we were able to almost get there and like apologize and like make it right. And luckily because especially our earlier customers, like they're so into the mission, they understood it. They were, they were pumped that we went pumped oil free. So they're like, okay, if we have to wait an extra two weeks, that's fine. But it's like, we couldn't make that kind of mistake now. You know what I'm saying? Like, those are not the type of things that you make when you're where, where we are now. And so I think that it's, there's like, yeah, there's definitely, we've made a ton of mistakes along the way and learned a bunch of lessons, but I'm thankful for all of them because, <laughs> yeah, you know. What's one of the hardest lessons you've had to learn as a founder or leader? I think founders in general are probably action-oriented. Uh, so when things are going wrong and when shit's going down, like I immediately want to jump in and do something. And sometimes the right move is to like wait and to like see it play out and to be patient. And I think that that kind of, that goes against, I mean, even just talking about that goes against like every like molecule in my body. And so that's been something that I'm getting better at, you know, and, and the higher stakes, the situation, the more pull towards action there is because the higher, you know, it's just the more I want to get in and get my hands dirty. And the more I'm now realizing like, taking a beat and, you know, getting some advice, like talking to other founders, like the, sometimes that's the best move. Sometimes it is jumping into action, but you need to have a pause because that typically works better than not. I know what you're saying. I'm Can a you fire relate? sign. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm like, is she an Aries? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm a Virgo. So it makes no sense. There should be no issue with this, but I'm just a Virgo entrepreneur. Um, yeah. It's, uh, but I think everybody who's, if you're building something, your bias is towards action. That's just the way that it is, you know? And so I think that that's something a lot of people uh, probably, probably have an issue with. So, and you only have to get burned a few times and then you learn it. And then you learn it. <laughs> yeah. So. What's something mm -hmm. unexpected that you didn't realize going into this um, and building this business or just any business you think? Like, what's something unexpected? How fun it is. It's oh, really? so fun. It's like sports. It's so fun. And not only that, like how much good you can do. Like that was, you know, kind of going back is like, I, I always thought like businesses had to be just profit driven or just, you know, whatever. And like, yeah, profit's important. We're, we're bootstrapped. Like profit's really important. Like we need that to pay our bills and our salaries, but you can, you know, really changed things. I think, you know, we've, with toothpaste tablets now, we've had some of the biggest of big brands like come out with toothpaste tablets, right? And like, that's going to be what actually changes the, the system, right? Like those are the types of things that actually change. And like, we're able to donate money. We're in the process of getting B Corp certified. Like we can, you know, there's so much that you can do as a business if you choose to do those things that I think that was unexpected. and. Yeah, I just think like, it's really fun. It's like really fun. So how do you work to improve yourself so that you can best lead the business? I have to learn an entirely new skill set every quarter. Like that is when you have like a brand that's, or like a company that's building like this, it's, if you don't constantly improve, like it just doesn't make any sense. You have to constantly be trying to get better. So I read uh, an insane amount of books. I'm constantly, I'm either listening to an audio book when I'm on a walk, when I'm cleaning, when I'm doing anything or, and I read every morning and every night and I, and I like network like crazy. So, you know, I, I've said it a few times, but like we're bootstrapped, which means I don't have like a board to, to answer to, but also to help, <laughs> you know, I also don't have, and you know, I, I'm not like some serial entrepreneur. So like these are, this was not my network. Right. So I'm in Slack channels. I reach out to people, I've built like this amazing group of founders here in LA that I can talk to and we all help each other out. And I think it's like, how, how quickly can you amass? Like it, it just, it's a game of being like, how much better can you get faster, 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 better, faster, better, faster, just to keep up. Cause then it's too, it's like you hire better people and I need to be a better CEO for those people. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're just, it's yeah. Right. You constantly have to be a better and better leader what are you reading right now? And what are you learning? It's called ramping your brand. So it's not, 
I don't think it's a new book, but it's a great book. And it was recommended to me from the guys from COS, KOS. They make vegan uh, protein powder. And like, this is the type of thing. It's like, we're always, and then I recommended it to my friend, Zach, who's the CEO of a company called Nomadics, which makes like uh, towels out of water bottles. And it's like, these are the types of things we're constantly just like passing on information, being like, you should read this and you should read that. And so the book, uh, Ramping Your Brand is basically, it's for brands that are, smaller revenue wise than us, but it's still like a, it's a really helpful and smaller revenue wise than cost for sure. Um, but it's a really helpful book in terms of kind of grassroots marketing, which right now, you know, iOS 14 has happened, you know, like this is, it's like, we want to kind of figure out like what the heck were brands doing before we could just put $5 into Facebook and get $8 out. Right. So it's like, what, you know, what is, what those, and it's just, it's like very interesting. It's very cool. So that's one that I recommend, um, but I'm, I'm like literally halfway through it. And then I'm also reading Zen for Beginners. <laughs> Zen so, for Beginners? Is this like a I Meditation 101 book? Yeah, it's a meditation book. Yeah. <laughs> I was joking, so. but I guess it is, right? <laughs> no, it is. It is. I'm trying to think of what it's actually called. I, it's like, yeah, it's called Zen for Beginners. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's Zen for Beginners. So it's all just about the origin of Zen and like how to meditate. Interesting. Zen. I should probably try to read that. Meditating is so hard. It's like so hard to just. It's, I try to do it every morning. Wow. Five to 10 minutes. Yeah. Five to 10 minutes. That's cool. So what's next for Bite? We're going to continue to expand into body care, which is super exciting. So for me, I love you know, being able to come up with products that I want to use. Like, I, I think that there's so much to innovate in, in the bathroom, uh, in our daily routines that I just, I, it's like, it's like a big playground and I like, love it. And so we'll be doing that. And I mean, for us, it's like our, our like motto is like, like more and better. <laughs> so just like more, you know, trying to get our message out, you know, it's not, because it's like not just, you know, at all about selling products. It's about really trying to change people's daily routines into something way more sustainable. Because I do think that, you know, as if it's those little, you know, same with like plant, meatless Mondays, right? It's like meatless Mondays are, it's yes, the impact is important, but it's also the fact that it just starts the conversation of plant-based and, you know, why that's important. And so the way that I kind of see it with us too, is that even if someone doesn't buy our product, being able to have the conversation is just so important because like maybe the toothpaste isn't for them or the deodorant isn't for them. But if they decide to like use a re reusable water bottle because like they learned that from us or it's on their mind, like that it means the world to me. So I think like for us, it's yeah, just trying to get the message out there more of the same and bigger, better and new products. This company is entirely bootstrapped. You haven't taken a penny from an investor. Yeah, no VC. Yeah, it's been crazy. That's crazy. That's very crazy. And I, I just wonder, do you think that'll ever change? Do you ever think you'll want to take on some investor capital to propel growth? That's the question, right? I don't think, I don't, I like growing a sustainable business. You know, I think that it really means a lot to me that we are growing because of our customers and that we are able to do these things because people believe in us and they're buying from us. And it's not something where we would just flip the balance sheet upside down, try to grow unsustainably, you know, and then also like, what are the, what are the catches that come with that type of money? You know what I'm saying? Like, would it, would we be, you know, would it, would we have to prioritize things differently, you know? And like, I don't know, you know, and I don't, at this point, I don't even need to think about it because we haven't had to do that. You know, it's like, for us, it's something where we've had, we've been really lucky, a lot of word of mouth um, from our customers. And I hope that we can continue I see why people would, would raise and like always a question that we're batting around here too, but I just, right now the real question would be like, why? <laughs> you know, for us, it's just, I like, I like how this is going. And I, I mean, like, you've made um, it this far and you guys have had such incredible explosive growth without it. It's kind of like, maybe you pass that line. I feel like I, I dive into things when I have to. And it hasn't been something that I need have even had to dive into thinking like, is this something like if there was something where it's like, we saw this, you know, amazing opportunity that could really make or break, you know, whatever. And that we need to do maybe. Right. But at this point, it's like, 
we're we're a subscription business. We're able to, you know, service our customers. We want to come out with all the products that we want to and really play by our own rules. And I think that that's something so special. You know? Have you, ex- have so. you explored other options for financing? You know, there's other options where they don't take a, take equity. It's basically a loan. Yeah, but we haven't needed to. That's interesting. That's awesome. So before we wrap up, I'm curious, because I think a lot of listeners and entrepreneurs out there or aspiring entrepreneurs, they're always wondering when to take the leap. And so I'm wondering, when did you have feelings of self-doubt that this is something that you could build? Especially at the beginning, it's so hard because you don't know what you don't know. So you think you're trying to go from like point A to point B, but what you don't understand is there's like 57 steps in between. And so it's like really easy to get discouraged. But I think like what I've definitely learned over the years is that it's not, it's not about going from point A to point B. It's about just moving forward, right? And so if point A to point B has a thousand steps in between, it takes you longer, you're still on the right path. And so I would say like, you know, at the beginning, especially just not getting discouraged and figuring out what, what you can do to keep you motivated. So for me, you know, it was a mix of like watching Plastic Ocean, crying my eyes out about the plastic pollution problem. And then also, you know, making myself feel better, maybe like putting on music while I'm working and like drinking, you know, a glass of wine or while I'm pressing tablets or something like that to just be like, let's just get this done. You know, and I think you have to kind of figure out like what you, what motivator that day is going to get you through when you are feeling kind of uh, stuck or burnt out. And then the other thing I would say is that a lot of advice, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but a lot of people will say like, you know, you're not a real entrepreneur until you just jump in and, and do it and, you know, you know, bet the farm and go and do it. And I think, you know, for me, it was very different where I wanted to be able to kind of grow this baby bird of a company. And I wanted to be able to treat it like art and to not feel pressured, not to feed myself from it. And I think that like, if you try to feed yourself from this little bird that you're trying to nurture, it's a way that you could start making shortcuts. You could start kind of sabotaging your own business growth. And so for me, it was very much like I saw my day job as my investor. I was able to take that money and instead of putting into savings, put it into my startup and, you know, kind of grow that way. Uh, And I was very thankful for my job at the time, you know, and I was like, I'm just very thankful to be able to do this. And it was an an enormous amount of work, um, but still was running a startup. So really it's just teaching me that stamina. And then by the time it was ready to, you know, where it took off, I didn't, I didn't make any compromises. And I really think that was one of the reasons that we were able to kind of get that traction is that I didn't have to, you know, I, I was able to kind of build it the exact way that I wanted to. And so I would say that, you know, there is something to be said about taking the slow path and to really enjoy your time doing it. Because for me, that's what it was all about, especially at the beginning. Because it's not so slow anymore. It wasn't slow. <laughs> yeah, no, it was not. As soon as we got, I was like, boom. But there was, you know, like a year, year and a half of like just messing around in a lab, you know, my lab. When I say a lab, it was like dining room. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it is, I like just took it over. But there was like, there was a lot of time where it was just messing around with different powders and formulas and driving to Whole Foods and buying these different, you know, whatever, and like, you know, different ingredients and trying to get them off Amazon or chem- chemistry connection and kind of just like playing around. There was a lot of play. Did you ever get impatient? Like, what am I doing with my time here? Like, where is this going? It might not go anywhere. Like, what am I doing? Did you ever question yourself? Yes, but then I reframed it. Just thinking like, how do you feel when you're painting like a painting? You know, if you if you decided that you want to do a drawing, right? And you like, I you want to draw, you wouldn't like look up in the middle of it and be like, why am I wasting my time drawing this? It's like, no, you're doing it because you enjoy it, you know? And like, and even if in the end, no one buys the drawing or like you just like in the end I knew I would have like something that I could use I would just like use these tablets when I was traveling so the way that I saw it was I like literally I mean I saw it like I was making art like I was just like why does anyone make a song if they're not you know a professional musician who cares you're just doing because you love it right so for me it was like it, it whenever I would feel like oh it was take a step back and you know treat it like art yeah Are you artistic in other ways as well? Like you sound like you're a creator here. And I'm I'm not like, I'm really totally not musically inclined. I have no artistic talent. So I mean, I mean, like, I guess this is like the way that I was, you know, expressing myself, Uh, but I did like making YouTube videos. So I like storytelling, you know, so this kind of took a place, I guess, of storytelling. That's awesome. 
do you have any final advice for aspiring entrepreneurs tuning in that are, you know, thinking about taking the leap into entrepreneurship or want to grow as fast as Byte has? I think it's so exciting and there's never been a better time. And there are so many resources at your disposal, whether it's podcasts like this, YouTube, talking to people, you know, getting on Facebook groups in your network. And I think that there's never been a more important time for real solutions to uh, some of the problems that we're up against, whether it's, you know, pollution or, you know, climate change, or I, I mean, there's so many things that we can be innovating on. And I just think it's like, it's really exciting. And to anybody who wants to do it, I, it's a great time. Lindsay, thank you so much for your time and sharing your awesome story. It was really cool meeting you and thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks so much, Lee. This was so fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.